All right. Good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all. Um, so tonight, I want to continue um, uh, a little bit some of the things that we we're working on last week. Uh, actually, the last many weeks, some um, different ways of noting, acknowledging um, our experience especially those aspects of our experience that pull us away from being present with what's um, we're going on with our bodies, what's really, what's, what's real about our sensory environment, um, pull us away into, into fantasy and thought and emotion into the past or into the future. Um, so those, those ever, you know, those, those very common parts of our experience that pull us away from the here and now. Um, and, and I think I wanna talk, emphasize a little bit more today, um, the bigger picture of why we do this work of noting what's going on. Um, there's um, a, a risk of when we talk about these different methods or techniques um, of, of becoming too focused on the technical aspects of what it is to practice. And, and it's very easy sometimes to lose track of why. Oh, um, someone's, look, maybe someone's mic is on. Hold on. Um, okay, I think everyone's muted. Okay. Um, so, you know, why exactly are we doing this? Um, What's the spirit of the practice rather than just the method? So, um, so I think um, many of you were here last week. Even those of you who weren't, I think are already familiar uh, with how to note or label thoughts and emotions. Um, but um, I think the one thing that I want to emphasize again um, for everyone, and it's something that I think I need to remind myself of all the time, is that whenever you note something like a thought or a sensation or an emotion that pulls you away from the present, that as much as possible to, to the best of your ability, try to note it or observe it or watch it with a gentle awareness. Um, it's so easy to see a thought come up or an emotion or a sensation distracts you and to think of it as like a, a problem, something that, that you'd rather not be there, that you want to, to, to shoo away as soon as possible. Um, and so, and that can um, cause us for tightening up of the mind um, and and ultimately is um, very counterproductive and kind of um, uh, expressive of a little bit of, you know, as Pema Chodron likes to put it, uh, self-aggression, right? Like we're really um, a battle, even if it, it's a subtle battle with how we actually are. And so even though we think we're noting in that way to get back to the moment by doing it in that way, we pull us, pull ourselves away from the present. Because of course there can be no way back to the moment except by 
accepting, acknowledging what the moment contains, which may be at that moment, thoughts about the future, you know, um, nostalgia about the past. So, um, you know, there's a phrase like Thich Nhat Hanh likes to use. Uh, he may be quoting someone else like, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way, right? I think it's a beautiful line. I think you could just substitute the word presence. There is no way to presence. Presence is the way. So if you see that you're distracted about something, by something, you know, that's not an obstacle to the present. By seeing it and accepting that that is your present experience and fully accepting that that's your present experience, then you are already immediately in the present. You know, um, it may not be a very comfortable presence. It may be full of agitation or energy, right? but you're here just by doing that. There's no way to get to the present. It's always here, right? Um, so let's just um, sit for a few minutes um, and then I'm going to say a few words and then we're gonna sit for a little bit longer, okay? But this is a way just to um, sort of get our heads in a good practice space. Then I'll talk a little bit about noting the spirit of it um, and then we'll, we'll sit for a little bit longer. So please get in a comfortable position with your back as upright and dignified as possible and your front side soft so that the breath can move easily into your chest and your belly. And perhaps take a few deep breaths, inhaling deeply through the nose and exhaling nice and slow through a slightly open mouth, drawing your exhalation out. And just take a few more of those deep relaxation breaths in through the nose, filling your whole body up with air. and exhaling slowly through your open mouth. As you take another breath or two in this way, feel the body settle. You might even say to yourself silently as you exhale, relax, inviting the body and the mind to settle into the moment. Now please let the breath just come and go at its own rhythm, no longer drawing out your inhalation or exhalation, but just letting the breath find its own rhythm. And of course, this might be erratic. It might be fast and shallow and that's okay. Let the breath breathe itself. Now please bring your awareness to all the sounds in the environment around you. Not listening for particular sounds, not trying to identify 
sounds, but just letting all the sounds around you move through you. Can you hear not just with your ears, but even with the rest of your body? Can you hear with your torso? Feel the sounds in your arms and your legs. And when thoughts, emotions, or anything pulls you away from your awareness of sounds, just acknowledge that gently. Pause for a beat, relax for a beat, then come back to sound. You'll notice that if you strain too hard to hear in this way, you actually constrict how much you can hear. This is a kind of hearing that requires you to relax into the experience. Receive the sounds around you rather than try to grasp at them, rather than hold tight to them. Just let them come, let them go. And if you aren't already aware of the body, then just let your awareness include the sensations of your body as a whole sitting here. Feel its weight, its mass. Feel the way the body, the bones, the tissue, the skin, Receive the sounds around you. Feel whatever sensations, whatever energy is moving through the body. and then stay grounded in the sounds, in the hearing.
And finally, if you aren't already aware of the breath, let your awareness now include the sensations of the breath in the belly and the chest. Feel how the body moves as you breathe in and out. So you're listening for sounds, you're feeling the body, and you're feeling the breath. And all this, of course, is just a way of being present, just being here, alive to the experience of the moment. At times your awareness may feel more focused on sounds or on the body or on the breath. That's okay. Let the awareness flow. Let it sometimes move where it wants to. And just once in a while check in with all three anchors, breath, sounds, and body. Just to keep touch with the fullness of the present moment. And now when thoughts pull you away or feelings or emotions, try noting or labeling what it is that's pulled you away. It could be a very simple label like thinking or a more precise one like thinking about work tomorrow. Whatever feels natural and easy to you. The important thing is not to give the label or the notation too much thought. Just pick something that quickly comes to mind and then return to the anchors of breath, sounds, and body.
take a curious interest in what it is that comes between you and the present moment. When you return to the present, return to the anchors and you rest there for a bit, what pulls you away? How does it feel when you're pulled away? How does it feel when you return to the present? Does it feel settling, agitating? Does it feel boring to stay in the present? What does boredom feel like? Be curious about this flow of staying in the present and then being pulled away. Okay, that's good for now. Um, feel free to keep sitting if you like, do whatever feels comfortable for you. So I was thinking earlier today about the stuff I've been talking about recent weeks. And as I suggested earlier, I got to worrying that there um, that I myself, and potentially some of you as you listen to me, um, might have kind of overemphasized the kind of technical elements of what I was talking about. You know, you know, making sure that the notation is done right, the labeling, um, and I was feeling in myself. This isn't really a worry about, about other people here, but in myself that actually I hadn't given enough sort of um, due to, or time or space to why it is that we do this. And in the absence of doing that actually, um, that there's a risk, another risk, which is that practice starts to seem like um, a way of like understanding our own psyches, like our own psychological patterns, as if that's really one of the, the deepest points of what practice is about. Um, like figure out like what our trips are, all this stuff. And I think that's a part of it, obviously. Um, but it's actually in the service of a much bigger and different thing, which is really opening to our lives as they are opening 
to um, for the mystery, the richness of the present moment. Um, um, and I came up with this, um, or it came to me this image of like what these thoughts do to us, why it is so important that we see what is pulling us away from being just in the moment. And it was the image of a cocoon, you know, the way in which we um, so often cushion or cocoon ourselves from whatever it is that life is bringing to us at that moment by means of the thoughts and emotions that we often get lost in, you know. Um, it can take so many different forms, right? I think a particularly common and painful version of this is when we're beholding the mystery of another person, right? And instead of being completely present with them, we are instead seeing them through the filter or the gauze of our thoughts, both about them and ourselves and how they see us and how we'd like them to see us and what we worry they're thinking about us, all this stuff, right? Um, and it actually is really sad when you think about it, how much time we spend with others, but not actually with others, right? Um, It also goes for when we just do our tasks, when we go about our life and do the things, folding the laundry, washing the dishes, cooking our food, whatever it is that we might be doing, where there too, we deprive ourselves of um, kind of the richness of doing, just doing what there is to be done. And instead, are some lost in thoughts about what we're doing or lost in thoughts about something that's completely unrelated to what we're doing, right? So that we do what we do, but, um, but barely, barely even noticing it, doing it unconsciously. So, um, you know, perhaps we aren't, doing a disservice to uh, another person as we were in that example of how we are with other people so often. But we deprive ourselves so much when we um, uh, sleepwalk or go on automatic pilot with the things that we do, right? Um, and there is so much richness in the textures, the sounds, the colors um, of all the things that we interact with during the day that we don't give ourselves um, the opportunity to fully experience. Um, I'm, I wonder if, I think a number of you have had the experience, but you know, an interesting thing that can happen after you sit especially after you sit for a little bit of time is right is the world can often look just brighter clearer right 
you walk out of your room, your house, and it's just like, just there's a kind of clarity, a sharpness of the world, which having sat for a little time, sort of allows you to witness and see. And it's as if some of the gauze, some of those filters have been um, tamped down, have been, um, have been muted. So you see more rawly, more clearly. Of course, I think the, the, my use of the word raw here, I think maybe gets at why, even though I've been emphasizing intentionally, I think some of the positive things that we deprive ourselves of, right? um, what, why actually we don't let ourselves experience life in this way or other people in this way, because it means being vulnerable right, and raw to the other person, to the feelings that we have, right? And to the unpredictability of the moment, right? Because so many of those thoughts that we have, let's return to the example of the other person, right? Are about managing the encounter, right? Making sure that we come across in the way that we want to, making, making sure that their reactions are in some way predictable and safe to us because we don't want unpredictability. We want safety, we want comfort as much as possible, so much of the time, right? Um, but it turns relationships into transactions. Um, and I'm not, this doesn't mean actually, I'm, this isn't like an ethical thing. It's not about, oh, people deserve better. It's that we're just not living. I mean, it's so much more simple than that, you know? It's like, we're just, depriving ourselves of the raw, both beauty and scariness of life. They go together. Um, and it seems that so many of us, and I'm, I'm speaking of myself, right? Have at some point in our lives decided, probably not consciously, I think probably surely not consciously, that it was a, it was a trade-off worth making, right? Comfort, safety, predictability for whatever it is that life might be when you're uncocooned, right? Um, I also think that um, this idea of control brings up another related but slightly different reason we spend so much time being pulled out of the present and sometimes quite willingly into our thoughts. It's because so many of the thoughts are about ourselves and what we think about ourselves, who we think we are, right? Um, and there are attempts so often to get control to get some kind of fix on who we are, right? Um, so that it's not just that, you know, we want other people to be predictable, not to hurt us, you know, please don't hurt me, right? But it's that we want some kind of predictability even when it comes to ourselves and our internal experience. We want to have some sense of, I know who I am, right? I think one of the most important concepts in Zen Buddhism is the idea of not knowing. Right? What practice 
all the different forms of practice, I think one of the key things they're taking us to is the experience of not knowing, right? And giving us the ability, inviting us to take the risk of approaching life in ourselves and other people without knowing, right? Without knowing who we are, without knowing who they are, without knowing what will happen, right? And just letting ourselves experience what will come. Um, I wanna read a brief text, very brief by Tony Packer, um, which I think uh, speaks to some of what I'm, I'm getting at here, just a bit. It's called yearning for completion. Uh, when the sense of me is present with its deep feelings of insufficiency and incompleteness, with its endless searching for perfection and security, we can't see freely. There's always that feeling of incompleteness as I think about myself. The thought of me is of necessity incomplete. Any thought is incomplete. There is no complete thought. Thought comes from fragmented memories that can never ever capture the aliveness of this moment. No matter how much I think about myself, what I am, how I am, what I should be, it's never the whole live thing because I am immeasurably more than the fragmented thoughts and pictures and feelings I have about myself. Thought and feeling cannot be complete. The completeness of life cannot be captured in thought or feeling. Thought is trying to do it all the time, but it can't. We live in thoughts and feelings alone and with others who are conditioned in the same way. From the thought feeling of incompleteness arises wanting and fearing. Wanting completion and fearing the absence of it. Wanting fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. Wanting and fearing. In observing carefully, one finds that not a moment goes by without some wanting or fearing. Even if there's a moment of fulfillment, there comes a desire for more of it or the fear that this moment will end. One wants to keep it, wants to prolong it. All of it comes out of this feeling of incompleteness, which inevitably goes with the idea of me as a separate entity. And then there is the trying trying to become complete, trying to become complete through thought, the spiritual paths, the exercises, the imposed practices, whether self-imposed or imposed by discipline that one takes up, trying to become complete through time. It's all thought. Do we see that? Both the incompleteness we suffer from and the completeness we strive towards our thoughts and images. It is all an escape from what is actually happening right now. 
this very instant, simple, all-encompassing presence without lack, unthinkable, vast, indivisible. So I think Tony Packer is um, getting at something really important here. And it answers very clearly why with all the noting and labeling that is involved in practice, at least as I and some other people teach it, this isn't about figuring out who we are, at least not in that sense. It's about seeing the ways in which we get pulled into thinking about ourselves in certain ways to be able to glimpse what lies beyond all of that. It's not about getting to the bottom of our psychological issues. It's not about figuring out all our scripts and patterns for its own sake, as if that's what it is to know ourselves, but rather to see what lies beyond all knowing and knowability. So when I asked, when you return to the present moment, right? from noting a thought. What does it feel like to return? And I think for me, it feels like often two different kinds of things, but they're flip sides of the same coin. Sometimes it feels like a profound settling, like a homecoming into the openness of the moment, right? Like I have a thought and I feel it's pulled and I, see it and I let it go. And then there's just the space in which that thought happens and you can float, right? And there's no need to have some thought about who I am. But sometimes it feels a little bit scary, sometimes a lot scary, right? Like that floating feeling actually feels like groundlessness, like I don't know, it's like a shiver. Like, like that thought was a, was a tether or something that kept you oriented. You knew who you were when you had that thought, right? And when you let it go, you don't know who you are. And so, but I think they're just different ways of experiencing the same thing. Sometimes, it feels like openness and spaciousness and floating. And sometimes it feels like groundlessness and falling. But both are the same experience, just seen from slightly different perspectives. And so it's good to become familiar with both. And I think especially that groundless one, anxiety, that's the feeling that often propels us into thought again, because it does feel so unsettling. Like, even if we have deep aspiration, we want to see our thoughts and not be trapped by them, right? To free ourselves of the cocoon. When we feel that kind of sense of free fall, loss of orientation, don't know who we are, don't know where we are, don't know where we're going, we might prefer this false comfort, right? of the thoughts and feelings that we're so familiar with. 
And it's just about getting more comfortable in those two spaces and opening and becoming more at ease so that more often it's that feeling of space and openness rather than the feeling of fear. But it's gonna be both for a long time. Um, so control, safety, comfort, predictability. Right? I think these are the things that we're working on. And this is why we have to so rigorously and carefully note what pulls us away. Um, and it's good to appreciate, I think, the charge that those thoughts have, why they have such a pull on us. It's not just distraction. I mean, maybe in the early days when you're just starting to sit, like, yeah, it's like you need some stability. You need, a, you need to, to build up a little concentration. But when you start doing this for a while, it's this deeper stuff, right? Like you may think you're distracted, but probably what it is, is that you're really kind of like feeling edgy about that, that groundless experience, you know? Um, so we sat a little bit longer than I thought we would at the beginning. And I talked a little bit longer now than I thought I would. So there's time to sit again. I would very much like us to sit again, but I also have said a lot and I want to make sure that people have a chance to ask questions or just share. And, you know, as I've said over and over again, even if you feel like, you know, what you have to say isn't, that's not, maybe you think, oh, it's not worth saying, you know, sometimes someone else will hear what you say, say, ah, I, someone else, I, yes, you know, that experience, I thought I was the only one having it, that feeling, that difficulty. So please don't discount what it is that you have to offer. Other people can get a lot out of it, including me. So I'll leave a little bit of space if anyone wants to share anything, including questions, and then we'll sit a little bit more. Bernie, could you put the um the name of the book that you you read in the chat, perhaps like when we're done? Because I really like the passage. I'll um just share it on email next yeah. next time I send a reminder email. Okay. Right. Okay. Thank you. Well, it's called. It's from the book Light of Discovery. I might as well just tell you the Light of Discovery. Yeah. I was just going to say that um, I think the feeling of groundlessness that I experience sometimes when I have that clarity is actually a big part of why I meditate is, I guess, like that feeling of groundlessness is so terrifying to me in my daily life. That meditation has been one way that I move, I move through it or don't experience it. So sometimes I find that um, I can really handle that open space. And then sometimes when I'm sitting, I just feel like the fog is so dense between me and clarity. Like I just, 
I can't even imagine how many layers are there. And sometimes I think that's probably when I'm most afraid of that feeling of groundlessness or when I've spent weeks or months like building, like fortifying my lack of presence in order to not feel as disconnected as I feel. Um, yeah, that's just something that comes to mind um, when, you know, when you talk about the open space versus the groundlessness, because the groundlessness is pretty much always really scary for me. So. Thanks so much, Marnie. That's, that's wonderful. I totally resonate with what you're saying. I mean, I found it interesting, Bernie, that you mentioned um, like the present moment might be uh, boredom or uh, have a resonance of boring. Um, because sometimes, depending on the thought, I, I was feeling that way a little tonight. Like if something just pulls you and it's so much more interesting to go with that and then to come back, it, uh, it's a hard turn for me sometimes. So I didn't know if you or anyone else had some thoughts on overcoming that and being more open in that shift to try to pull back or, or anything like that. I would say, Jenna, maybe the image of pulling back, and I know that it, it's probably an image I use, but it's actually may not be the right one. It may be actually like, go with that urge to, to wander, you know, like, you know, and I think that's why I asked, like, when you, if you feel bored, what does that feel like? It's a way of like, not denying that impulse to go somewhere else, as if it's like, okay, I should be good and pull myself back to the moment, but rather use that feeling of not wanting to be in the moment. What is to be bored and restless? Like, what does that actually feel like? And I think what you'll find is it's actually all too interesting. In fact, overwhelmingly, <laughs> you know, it's gonna be like a lot of energy is gonna be there, right? When you, and so, um, so sink into that very restlessness, that boredom, that flatness, whatever it is. And I have a feeling it's going to contain surprising depth and texture, right? So. Oh, yes. Yes. So following what I heard. So what if the present is filled with um, both and or either or uh, physical or uh, mental, let's say, distress, mm -hmm. discomfort mm -hmm. um, that you uh, surrounded with, let's mm -hmm. say, if that's the present, um, often you might uh, want to uh, run away from that, so into something more comfortable, mm -hmm. distracted from that. Um, but you come back to it, to that distress. Um, like you just said about into the boredom, into the groundlessness, is it also that we, one would try to sink into that uncomfortableness and really embrace it? Um, um, so that, 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 that's the merit of, um, uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. is, is that what we do? It's a really, it's a really good question. Um, so I think the, the one thing I wanna say first is 
like there is nothing wrong with distracting ourselves sometimes. Okay. I mean, so like, you know, we, we, we are human beings, we all have our limits. And, um, and I think what I would say is like consciously distract yourself, you know, it's like, say like, I need a break from what is going on with me or my loved ones or my life. And I'm going to distract myself by turning on this mindless show or doing this other thing or whatever it is, you know, it might be, or just like letting myself space out for a bit, you know, um, uh, Joko Beck, one of the most you know, intense Zen practitioners and teachers um, used to do that. She said, you know, um, sometimes things became too intense during a retreat. And she'd say, I will, I, I have a little fantasy island that I go to in my mind where I, I decorate the hut that I, that I have there, right? Um, but the key is do it as much as possible consciously, you know? Um, and that makes all the difference. And then give yourself time when you can also then sink into the discomfort and the pain. Because I think the thing is like, um, there are physical or other kinds of ailments which we cannot cure, right? Or we may try to cure, but the cure is far off. Or, and some things that just cannot be cured, right? They're just, they're, and so, um, but what we can do is heal or transform our relationship to that kind of pain. So that simply because we have this condition, we don't then for the rest of our lives not experience anything else clearly or fully, right? Because if you spend all your time just avoiding that pain or discomfort, it's gonna ramify into how you experience everything else, right? And so, but you need to be gentle, right? And, and do it in little bits and, and find a way to, now I wouldn't sink in or at least, you know, maybe let's just inch up to, right? <laughs> you know, um, and get a little bit familiar with, make friends with, right? Um, and then I think there are times where you'll be able to be with it and it won't cause you as much psychic distress, like the physical pain might still be there, but the psychic distress won't be as much. But there are other times where you say, I can't do it. And you distract yourself. So um, does that help? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's a time that you do want to confront or uh, be with it. Yes. Uh, because you, so at that point, um, uh, I'm sorry. So you said uh, just gently. Yeah. Gently. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yes. Pete, do you want to speak to this? Uh, as Ravita, as, Veda, as might say, mm -hmm. within our pain, rest and grace that will often arise if we allow ourselves to surrender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yoshiko, I, have a, I can share a couple of chapters with you. Um, my friend and teacher Ezra had a chronic autoimmune disorder and was in, was in, has, has been in pain for years. And it's one of the reasons why this practice has been so powerful for him because there was no escape from the pain. And so, um, so let me share, because it's, a, it's it's a lot more than I can say in just a few minutes. And it's a very important question. So I'd be happy to share it with you. So email me, I'll send you some text, okay? Okay. Okay, why don't we sit for um, nine minutes and then we can call it a night, okay?
And I'll be happy to hang out afterwards if anyone has any questions like to ask after, but let's sit a little bit more. Okay. So please just get in a comfortable position. And for this last nine minutes, I'm not gonna offer any guidance. Please just do whatever kind of mindfulness practice feels right to you at this moment. That may be the one we did earlier, or maybe some other one that you're familiar with.
Okay. I realized there was one thing that I want to say that I didn't, I'm just going to touch on. Don't worry, it's going to take a second. Love and connection, right? It's like when we cocoon ourselves in the way that I was talking about earlier, that is the most painful thing that we cocoon ourselves from. Love and connection, right? With ourselves and with each other. Something I'll talk more about maybe next week, but it's not just the vividness and the beauty and the mystery and the scariness of life. There's also maybe most importantly, a sense of connectedness with each other and just open, unconditional love. So, um, all right, with that, I wish you all a good week and I hope to see some of you next time. Good night, everybody.